Intelligence. Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Brought to you by eFocus Marketing. and welcome to another episode of Intelligence. I'm Kate Barrett, your host and the founder of eFocus Marketing, a specialist email marketing agency helping companies to use email more intelligently. Now, for today's Intelligence Masterclass, we're going to once again dig into a specific area of email marketing to help you increase your results. And it's my pleasure to welcome Guy Hansen today as my guest. Guy is a passionate advocate for intelligent use of customer data to drive responsive sales and marketing programs. With a knowledge base spanning 20 years, he is globally recognized as an email and data expert and thought leader. Over the past decade, Guy has led ReturnPath's global consulting team and worked with world-famous clients across six continents to improve their email delivery, subscriber engagement, and revenue. Now, Validity's VP of Customer Engagement internationally, he continues to explore his passion for email and data and share it with his clients to maximize their program value. He's a strong believer in giving back to his community, speaking at flagship events, providing training, and producing fresh and insightful thought leadership. Outside of work, Guy has had a long-time involvement with the DMA, currently sitting on the email council alongside myself and is involved with key pieces of research. He's a regular contributor to the industry press and a three-time finalist as data storyteller of the year. So Guy, welcome and thank you so much for taking time to join me today for our intelligence masterclass. Wow, it's such a pleasure to be here and uh you know, you and I have known each other for so many years. I can't believe it's the first time we're doing this, but um, really pleased to be here and so looking forward to it. Excellent. I know we've done we've done webinars before, but we haven't done podcasts before. And this is the first time getting you on the Intelligence podcast. So I'm really, really excited to have you on and share your knowledge and all your amazing insights with our audience as well. So before we jump into that and we jump into our topic, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what Return Path, which is now part of the Validity family, do? Cool. So, I mean, you did a great intro for me professionally, so I won't rehash that. I think um, anyone that knows me personally knows that I like to ride motorbikes. I can play a decent game of pool. I normally play left-handed so that people think I'm really rubbish, and then they put money on the table, and then I switch to right-handed and I clean up. So that's Oh, I'm going to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I like to drink beer, um, probably more than I should. I'm a connoisseur of fine whiskey, and... uh, And I know a bit about email, which is why we're here today. Um, In terms of validity, they are a very new name in the the data space. I think the best way of thinking about them is that if you're a business that absolutely gets the importance of working with quality data and you understand how important it is when you're building relationships and with prospects and customers, then you absolutely want to be working with validity. Um, Got all the bases covered, so whether it's about capturing good data using solutions like GridBuddy and Bright Verify, or maintaining your CRM using solutions like trust assessment and demand tools, or whether it's successfully getting your messages out to their recipients using return path 
Um, Validity's got tailored offerings. So if you're a data management practitioner, whether you do email marketing, um, you know, whether your responsibilities for sales productivity, um, that's what we do. Just turned two, so we're still very new. Um, Validity's already got over 500 people, offices around the world, including right here in London. And um, one final point, you talked about our um, DMA relationship, Kate. Really pleased to announce um, this is brand new news that Validity is going to be the headline sponsor of this year's DMA Awards. Fantastic. Well, that is definitely good news. And it's so nice to have that family of brands under the, the Validity umbrella that you can dip into for all of those different needs. So give us just a little bit of an insight into Return Path specifically and your role there. So um, I, I spent um, eight years with Return Path and um, built up a international consulting team who uh, worked in Europe, uh, LATAM, APAC, pretty much everywhere except North America, where the head office function was. And um, it was a extraordinary period of my career because it meant I got to work with some of the biggest brands around the world and, you know, sort of had first-hand access into helping them solve their email challenges, both deliverability and driving sort of increased engagement and revenue from their programs. And I can only say, you know, if there's such a thing as a, a university for email, that's exactly what it was. And, uh, you know, built up one of the best teams that I've ever worked with. And um, I think, uh, as some people know, you certainly know, Kate, um, last year, um, Matt Blumberg, founder of Return Path, after 20 years, you know, he jokingly said, we must be like the oldest startup in history. Um, <laughs> he finally decided to cash in his chips and uh, found a willing buyer in Validity. I think Return Path is a very complimentary offering to the rest of the Validity family, as you so beautifully described it, um, and probably more to come. Um, you know, Validity is absolutely on the acquisition trail, and as it finds more perfectly shaped pieces that sort of fit into that sort of broader puzzle of high quality data, trust your data, use your data to build great relationships. Um, you know, sort of more members will join the Validity family in time to come. Excellent. Sounds good. So back at Return Path and back helping clients really make the most of the, the data that they have and getting into the inbox and su successfully delivering those emails. And we're not going to talk about deliverability today, but... Can't we? Please. Oh, I know, I know. For once, we're not going to talk about deliverability, <laughs> but we're going to talk about a topic that is extremely important and really is the foundation of good deliverability and getting into the inbox. And, you know, that's all about subscriber engagement. So what I want to dig into today is uncovering exactly what it is that our subscribers actually want from brands and the email marketing that we're sending, not just what we think that they want. And there's a, a massive distinction there. So this conversation, we, we planned this podcast, not only because you were involved in the recent launch of the Direct Marketing Association, the DMAs, 
2020 Consumer Email Tracker Report, which was sponsored by Pure360, um, which we'll be referring a lot to today and going through some of those results because it's really illustrative of the difference between what they want and what we think that they want. But also because this is a topic area that is so often overlooked and yet is so critical to every piece of email marketing and every piece of marketing that a brand is doing. So from my side of things in terms of, of e-focus marketing and when we're looking at a strategy for a client, we always lead with that customer-centric, customer-first approach. We need to be thinking about what is it that they want from us and then how do we provide it? So, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast would have heard me talk about this before and talk about sending the right message to the right person at the right time via the right channel with our omni-channel approach. But many of us really focus on creating our strategies around the messaging and offers that our companies want to put out there. And that's what we're forced to do. But we forget that because of a lack of time, a lack of data, a lack of strategic insight, that we actually have real people on our audience. Each number in our subscriber list is a real person with real needs and real emotions. And we've, again, we've talked about this before, and it's such an important topic. And brands are definitely starting to cotton on to this. And we've seen and talked previously about examples from companies offering the chance to opt out of Mother's Day or Father's Day promotions, for example, as this can be a really difficult time for people who've lost their parents. Or, you know, making sure that when we use our data to personalize our campaigns, that we're not veering into the, we're watching you and we know all about you creepy side of, of how we're putting our message out there. So we've got to understand what people want. And we're certainly in, in a lot of the cases, not going far enough to truly understand our audience. Now I've got an episode coming up that's all about the customer journey and your subscribers wants and needs so that you can really start to pin down that right message, right time, right person, right channel. And if you want to find out more about um, omni-channel strategies, you can listen into episode 13 that is already live with Gavin in Logini from Dot Digital as my guest, if you want to know more about that side. But I want to really dig into those results of the, the DMA consumer tracker today, because for me, it just illustrates in numbers on the page, all of these things that we're saying that you've got to understand what people want from you, and then how you can deliver it and how that fits in more importantly for, for this podcast and, and our topic how that fits in with your email marketing. So I think we would be remiss if we started this episode without talking about one of the biggest shakeups um, or the biggest feeling shakeups to email marketing, certainly in, in recent history with GDPR in 2018 and the impact that that has had on consumers and our marketing. And I know that with our clients at eFocus Marketing, generally we've seen an overall positive impact with the results that they're seeing with their campaigns now and how people are much better engaging with those emails and the quality of the data in terms of engagement going forward has certainly been increased. But 
Guy, what are some of the specific areas of the, the DMA Consumer Tracker 2020 report and perhaps other stats that you've seen? What have they highlighted about GDPR and what do we think has been the overall impact from that? So I think, you know, what you were saying about, you know, your clients talking about, you know, sort of post-GDPR performance improvement is absolutely right. And I think, you know, with clients that I've worked with and at the email council, we're, we're, we're referring to the the sort of post-GDPR halo effect. And, you know, I think maybe we expected to see it because, you know, I mean, Kate, you and I both know that um, especially where it's impacted on email, basically what GDPR did was write a lot of the best practices that we've talked about over the years into law. So I think we'd have been very disappointed if we hadn't seen an improvement in performance because it would have meant all of that best practice stuff that we've talked about over the last five or 10 years was rubbish. So um, it's probably a big relief for all of us that um, you know we have seen this positive uplift. I think in the consumer tracker, it was interesting because um, the consumers that were surveyed were asked the question, um, you know, do you feel that your personal data is now more secure? Uh, you know, do, do you feel that your um, you know, rights are being observed um, since GDPR. And to be honest, their responses were a little lukewarm. I mean, there was more who responded positively and said, yes, you know, we do feel better protected. You know, we do feel there's a better customer experience, but not a, a huge number. And we thought about that because it wasn't sort of completely aligned with some of the other research and numbers we've seen and I think one of the things that occurred to us is especially, you know, when you're looking at email through a consumer lens, um, you know, some of those benefits probably aren't that visible. You know, you're not going to look at an email as it drops into your inbox and go, oh, I like this email because I use active opt-in to, you know, sign up for it, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, so maybe that benefit isn't particularly visible, but the benefit is there behind the scene. You know, sort of better data quality um, perhaps leads to better segmentation, better understanding of your interests, serving you sort of more appropriate and relevant content. And for you as a consumer, when you're asked those questions, you know, do you think you're benefiting from GDPR? You might not be thinking about all of that, but you still might be responding to the the, the sort of better way that your data is being used. So I think that's where we came down on that one. Um Yes, and I think, you know, one of the things that we saw um, was um, in the research, they put an age overlay against the respondents. And um, I think one thing that was interesting was how younger responders felt that the post-GDPR halo effect was a far more real thing than the older responders. And, you know, we were discussing, is that to do with, you know, the whole point of GDPR was to provide consumers with more choice and the ability to exert influence over that choice is it that with younger respondents being digital natives having a you know being more adept at being able to exert those choices and therefore um, you know feeling that they're getting a better customer experience post gdpr than older consumers who are less adept at harnessing those you know the, the choices that's been provided to them i think that's really interesting and the key point for me here is that if we're asking for more data, we have to actually use it 
and use it in a way that tailors the conversation we're having with someone and makes it more personal and relevant to them. So that for me is the key takeaway. If people are giving you that data, you need to be using it sensibly. And people want that. They want that more personalized and targeted approach. And they're telling you that if they're saying, yes, here are my preferences, here are my choices, here's the data that you can use. And I wonder if the younger generation because they're more used to sharing data. For them, it's it's natural, it's part of every interaction that they have with the internet. So I wonder if it's just more of an easy transaction for them to take and they're more trusting because they've grown up with the internet. I wonder if that's one of the, the points that um, helps with that change in numbers as well. And I think that again is really interesting. And I'd like to kind of get your thoughts just while we're talking about that younger generation coming through and as they come into you know school age and then into university and into the workplace, do we think that email is still relevant to them? And how can we make sure that it stays relevant in future years? I think it's absolutely relevant. Um, I think, you know, for me as a a parent with a son age 20, I think I often use him as a a sample of one. And it's very interesting to see how he thinks about, you know, the world of email. And, um, you know, I think he he reflects some of the things we learn from these kind of reports that, um, you know, even in that youngest group, um, you know, when the question gets asked and you'll see it in um, in this DMA report, what is the preferred channel for you to receive communications? Um, email wins across all age groups. So, uh, you know, it's not necessarily an older or a younger thing. Um, I think it holds equally true for younger consumers as well as older consumers. But I think, um, you know, there are differences in terms of, you know, what they are expecting from their email. And I think, um, you know, some of the things that um, came across loud and clear um, is um, for sure your your youth audience is more mobile oriented. I think no surprises there. Um, you know, they engage with nearly all of the emails they receive on their smartphones and increasingly on sort of new devices. I think, you know, there's been a little bit of a false dawn, but suddenly, you know, the relationship between email and smart watches, the relationship between email and smart speakers is suddenly a real thing, and that's being driven by youth or, or, or your, your youth audience. Um, one thing which didn't make it into the actual report, um, but we're doing some separate analysis, and we'll probably write up a blog or two about it soon, um, is also the relationship between consumers and the email address that they use. So the question being, you know, are there actually any, you know, provable differences between what a Gmail address owner looks like and behaves like compared with a Yahoo address owner, for example. And um, coming back to this topic of age, certainly um, we've seen a strong bias towards both Gmail and Outlook.com from younger consumers. And when I say strong bias, you know, sort of a 1.2x variance in favor of Gmail and um, an Outlook, whereas sort of middle-aged and older audiences are more likely to be traditional Yahoo or AOL users. So there's definitely a thing going on there. Um, there's, there's also some changes in terms of what sort of younger consumers want from their emails. So 
while you know the desire to sort of receive offers and discounts is pretty universal across all age groups, there are some interesting variances where your sort of younger consumers also see emails almost as a form of entertainment. And so what they want from their emails, apart from giving them offers and discounts, is they want them to be fun. They want them to be engaging. They want them to be visually stimulating. So, you know, if you think about things like, um, you know, animated GIFs, you know, sort of cute use of emoticons and emojis, um, you know, dynamic content, that kind of thing, all of those are going to be very important levers to pull to make sure that you're, um, you know, you're hitting that sweet spot with, um, you know, with with your younger segments. Really interesting. So once again, it comes back down to understanding your audience, understanding the different key groups, the key segments within your audience, and then what's going to work for them. And this comes back down to the elements that you test and what your hypothesis would be and how you actually break that down and decide what to do. Because depending on your brand, depending on your industry, depending on who your customers and your subscribers are, will impact that. So if they're younger, the things that you would test, like you just said, the, the more entertainment style factors versus if your audience is a slightly older generation, where they perhaps want more factual, educational, helpful content, you're going to have a big difference there in terms of what you provide, what you test, what strategies are going to work for you and what you can put in place. So I think that's really interesting. And I think just coming back to the GDPR point, one of the things that I've seen is um, from various different statistics is that the trust in terms of, of marketing and in terms of the brand has definitely increased increased post GDPR with consumers. And we know that trust and recognizing who the brand is, is something that I think across the ages is a key element that determines whether or not your emails actually get opened and, and interacted with. Do you agree with that? 100%. And um, I think there's, um, there's, there's a very interesting proof of that um, in the upcoming marketer tracker. And I mustn't sort of give away too much because the, the numbers are still under embargo. But let's just say that there's a very interesting trend where, and I am going to sneak in a small bit of deliverability here, so see if you can stop me. Um, there's a very interesting trend in terms of the relationship between unsubscribes and spam complaints. And I think for the longest time, um, a lot of consumers you know, would use the spam complaint almost as a um, an easy alternative to the unsubscribe. And uh, perhaps there was even some skepticism or uh, lack of trust with unsubscribes because, you know, they knew that it was going to be a difficult process or you'd have to answer a survey or you'd have to log into an account to process it, whatever. But what's interesting is that suddenly um, we, we've seen a distinct sort of sea change in terms of sentiment from consumers over the last year or two post-GDPR, where they're starting to become far more likely to use the unsubscribe mechanism rather than the spam complaint to opt out of a program. And for me, that tells me that, um, you know, there's been a significant increase in levels of trust because they're now using that mechanism which, you know, email marketers are offering to them rather than going, hang it, I'm just going to hit a spam complaint. 
And that's possibly one of the reasons that's driving improved program performance too, because I think, you know, we all know that, you know, spam complaints are really corrosive when it comes to your sender reputation. So, you know, accepting that, listen, you're always going to lose some members of your program, but if you are going to lose them, at least rather get them to unsubscribe rather than hitting that junk button is the better way of losing them. And I think you know, your comments, Kate, about, you know, is there more trust? For me, that's a really sort of, you know, great little thumbnail portrait of, you know, the swing in trust that we've seen in a positive direction. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. For more specialist advice to help you create email marketing that gets results, visit e-focusmarketing.com. Okay, so we've talked about GDPR and, and the impact that's that ha- that that has had. So the next step on from that, obviously, is signups. And now that we have a more robust, trustworthy way to collect that data, what's driving signups now? So what are people saying that they want from brands as that push to get them to sign up to receive the email marketing? So... My pet topic here, and I think it's probably been the headline story of this year's tracker report, and we were starting to see it last year as well, um, is it seems to be all about e-receipts. So, you know, you think about it, you're in store somewhere, you you pay for whatever it is that you're buying, and uh, the next question is, would you like us to email your receipt to you? And... um, We're suddenly seeing that, um, you know, from pretty much a standing start of 0%, um, you know, now suddenly, you know, 40%, 50% of consumers are saying, I like the idea of being able to use email to get e-receipts. And, um, you know, the email programs are benefiting from that as well, because if you think about it, e-receipt, you know, you've just transacted. So basically it's soft opt-in, although you have the right to opt out. So it's a great way of sort of rebuilding your list. And I've seen some separate research outside of the DMA research, um, which suggests that the single biggest factor that's driven list replenishment post-GDPR and bearing in mind that you know the average list lost about 25% of its addresses post-GDPR, um, the biggest single source of replenishment has been from consumers providing their email addresses to get e-receipts. And so, um, you know, that's been really, really interesting. And perhaps, you know, the only puzzlement um, is that when you contrast the, re- the results from the consumer tracker versus the marketer tracker, consumers seem to like e-receipts a load more than marketers. And I wonder, <laughs> is it just because, you know, marketers aren't that plugged into the opportunity yet? They haven't seen the benefit. Or is it that they have recognized the opportunity, but perhaps they're carrying some concerns about the risk associated with the approach. Because if you think about it, you know, if you've bought from a brand online, you get to check out and typically there'll be something along the lines of, thanks for giving us your email. If you don't want to continue, if you don't want to receive any marketing emails from us, you can opt out right now. Now, in a point of sale environment, that's actually got to be driven by the cashier or the person who's attending the point of sale transaction. And they've got to be trained to go through that script and give you the opportunity to opt out, or there's got to be collateral around the till which informs you of your rights. 
And perhaps that's the reason marketers are a little bit more concerned, you know, thinking that it's got to be, you know, an investment in training, an investment in collateral, um, that, you know, if they can't prove, um, you know, whether that sort of right to opt out was applied or not, could they be in trouble? So, um, you know, perhaps there's a little bit of education there for marketers. You know, it's a great way of sort of restocking their lists, but, you know, make sure that you're also sort of ticking the boxes in terms of doing it properly, um, you know, not falling foul of any of the consent requirements which are imposed by both GDPR and by the privacy regulations. Absolutely. Okay, so e-receipts. What are the other elements that are driving sign-ups? Is there anything else that came out of the reports showing what people want and what's incentivizing them or what those elements are that we need to be hitting on on our sign-up forms to help encourage people to sign up? I think... You know, it was interesting, Kate, because you touched on it a moment ago and we're saying, you know, listen, the headline story is still offers and discounts. And I just talked a bit about e-receipts. But, mm-hmm. you know, there is still a strong appetite from consumers that, you know, email programs shouldn't just be about, you know, wall-to-wall, back-to-back offers and promotions. You know, they want a more varied diet like that and, um you know, I sort of think about myself as a carnivore and my wife's constantly trying to encourage me to eat more vegetables in the interests of <laughs> having a balanced diet. And, uh, you know, my knee-jerk response is, but I just want to eat meat. But she's absolutely right, because if I only eat meat, I'm going to die. Um, now, I'm not saying that sort of email consumers are going to die if they only get offers and promotions, but, you know, there's the analogy for you. And I think, you know, as email practitioners, we've known this for a long time and sort of healthy, high-performing email programs do mix it up with other types of content. And I think, you know, consumers have said this as well. And when they're asked that question, you know, what are the things that you sign up for? What do you want to get from your email program? You know, they're saying over and above those offers and discounts, give me information, you know, give give me, um, you know, stuff that I can use that helps make my life easier, that helps, um, you know, make better use of my time. So, you know, you think about a lot of the supermarket brands and, um, you know, often, you know, their, their emails will have recipes in them. And, you know, that's great because people are busy and, you know, sort of serving them up with a recipe means they've got to do a little bit less thinking. And, of course, it's very self-serving for the brand as well because if that's your Sainsbury's email saying, here's an easy-to-follow recipe to feed your family tonight, then, of course, you're going to go to Sainsbury's to buy all the ingredients. So uh, it's a win-win. Um, you know, we sometimes call, you know, those kind of emails inspiration emails. And I think you see a lot of those at Christmas as well when, you know, you're running short of time and you've got 15 family members coming around to your house on Christmas Day and you start to panic a little bit thinking what we're going to buy them presents and uh, what we're going to feed them with. And then you get that godsend email that says, you know, 15 brilliant ideas for those hard to buy family members. And you go, there we go. <laughs> Nailed it in one. So, you know, those help. I think, you know, another thing we see some brands doing really well, and I'm thinking of, um, you know, Virgin Media and their sister brands, they do value statements really well. So, you know, this is especially when you've got some kind of contract with, with, with the sender, you know, think a mobile contract, and you get sort of a quirky, informative email saying, hey, you know, we just want to let you know how much value you're getting out of your relationship with us. You know, you consumed you know, pretty much all your data allowance this month. Did you know that's the equivalent of 70 films? Great going. And, you know, you can do it in quite a sort of fun tone of voice, but you're also reinforcing how much value that they're getting out of the relationship. 
So, you know, all of those, you know, have a role to play in terms of a healthier, you know, sort of richer email diet, if you will. And I think, you know, the, the, the senders that get that right are recognizing that, you know, they're, they're, they're recognizing exactly what their customers are telling us. You know, we want this richer diet of emails, not just offers and promotions. Get that right. We're going to be more engaged. We're going to stay on your list longer and we're ultimately going to spend more money with you. Okay, so that's talked about the sign-up form. It's talked a little bit about content as well and what consumers actually want from us in terms of content. So at what stages of the journey do they want those different pieces of content? You know, did the report kick out anything about what they want at different stages or where email is really valuable to them around that customer journey? So right at the start of the report, it actually sort of considered the role of email in sort of three different scenarios, you know, sort of pre-purchase, post-purchase, and ongoing customer service. And, um, you know, you, you, you will obviously find that, you know, the sort of different types of messaging had different roles to play um, in, in those sort of broad different stages. Um, you know, obviously sort of the offers and discounts are going to have a, a sort of heavier role to play in the sort of pre-purchase part of it. Um, you know, the sort of newsletters, the value statements sort of fall into the ongoing customer service bucket. I think what was interesting, um, sort of moving away slightly from your question, but touching on another really interesting observation from the report, um, was also when respondents were asked to consider the various channels available to them. Um, you know, so in addition to email, thinking about mobile apps, more traditional channels like post and telephone, um, you know, did they feel that, you know, one or more channels better lent themselves to one or more of those phases. Um, you know, while there was some variance, actually email came out top across all three of those areas. So uh, again, you know, sort of not just in terms of the the messaging that was being served, but whether it was the overall preferred channel to serve those messages in the first place. Um, you know, that was a very encouraging story for any of us that are involved in the creation and sending of emails. Definitely. And what I loved that came out of the report is that 50% of consumers said that they liked to receive emails that were relevant to them. So linking back to our original kind of point on the, the podcast around GDPR, the data that we're collecting, how we use it, that's what people want. They want relevance and they want offers and information that is relevant to them. So all of those three points came out as, you know, in in the top four of what consumers want to receive from brands. So I think that there's a lot of work we can do on our strategies, but the key thing is that email is where people want to be. But at the other end of the scale, if they do get to the point when they want to unsubscribe, what did the report show was driving some of those unsubscribes? What can we do better to, to reduce some of those drivers? Uh, so part of me, um, as an email expert over many years, almost wants to blush on our collective behalf because the answers are still very similar to the same answers we've heard to that question for sort of five or even 10 years. You know, what makes people unsubscribe? Um, typically, I'm receiving too much email and 
despite the nice things you just said, um, you know, lack of relevance is a big driver of unsubscribes. Um, and interestingly, um, you know, sort of not enough choice or, um, you know, we still see a lot of, I don't believe I signed up for the program in the first place. And there's another really interesting question in the report where consumers are asked a very specific question about that, you know, where the question is phrased along the lines of, how often do you actually sit and look at your inbox and wonder how that sender got my email address? And uh, a disconcertingly high percentage, um, I think, I'm not looking at the report right now, but from memory, it was about a third of all respondents said, frequently. Um, and at least another half said occasionally. So sort of linking that back to your original question that, you know, a lot of people will unsubscribe because, you know, they don't remember signing up for the program in the first place or, um, you know, they, they're they not sure why they're receiving the emails. I think there's probably more work for marketers to do just in terms of thinking about that recognition piece and, you know, making sure that when consumers do receive their emails, they, they first of all recognize who the sender is, and secondly, they remember why they're receiving the emails. So I think there's two things going on there. There's another very specific question in the report. What is the most likely driver to persuade you to open an email? And, you know, mostly people will think, well, it's going to be that subject line, of course. You know, that's why we all spend so much time trying to craft killer subject lines, because that's what makes people open emails. And it's important, but actually the consumer response, even more important than subject lines, is recognition. I've got to recognize that sender. So thinking about things like, you know, consistent use of language in your subject lines, thinking about consistent use of your friendly from, so you're sort of not mixing it up and appearing to come from, you know, sort of 10 different addresses, um, you know, thinking about harnessing new technology like BIMI so that you can actually get your corporate brand logo to show in the inbox all of those are going to sort of drive better recognition. And then sort of thinking about, you know, you see these in email footers sometimes, you know, you are receiving this email because you bought from us on the 16th of June, 2019. And, you know, it's just a little touch, but for the consumer, you're sitting there and even if you were kind of thinking, why are they sending this email? But then you read that and it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. And, you know, you take away that doubt. So, um, you know, I think some really, really good, information there for marketers and if they act on it you know if they act on sort of dealing with those recognition issues and those why am i receiving these email issues um they're going to drive down that particular cause of unsubscribed significantly definitely totally agree and i think in terms of of summarizing the report this is what it really is leading us to look at so with any report you know i i do always believe that you can take the numbers almost with a, a little bit of a pinch of salt but i think the key message coming out of the report um and the reason i say take it with a, a pinch of salt by the way is because obviously uh, the reasons that somebody subscribed to your brand or unsubscribe from your brand or the particular information they want to receive from your brand will be different for everyone. But these kind of reports give us that overall view. And the key point that we're going to keep coming back to is that we have to understand what it is that our consumers want. And this report definitely gives us an overview of that and some of those key elements that generally 
People want to know who you are, know and trust and like the brand. We've known for many years that those are key elements in getting results, making sure now that when we do collect data from subscribers, that they have the trust in, in what we're doing with that data and that when we collect it, we're actually using it. Because one of the key things for me, and I know we've talked about this many times, is that point at which somebody says, I've unsubscribed because you've sent me too many emails. I always think that that answer is one that is laced with lots of other different points because what is too many emails? And for me, too many emails is where people didn't expect to receive the number of emails that you're sending. So expectations aren't being set at sign up. That's a key point. But also that you're not delivering something that is relevant and interesting to them that they would then want to receive, or you're giving them a bad customer experience, or you know any of those elements for me are what goes into what is too many emails. So we have to be thinking about all of these elements. And if we can start to to crack that and use our data to inform what we should be sending, when we should be sending, who we're sending it to, we're going to start improving some of the results that we, we see in these. And like you say, hoping, hopefully, sparing some of our marketer blushes as we go forward <laughs> and getting away from these standard things that, you know, come on, let's let's improve the basics. Let's really strip it back, get our foundation right, and then we can move on to all of that fun stuff with, you know, interactive email and, you know, all of our dynamic content and, and increasing our relevancy. So let's get that key point in there. But is there anything else that you would add to that as a, as a summary of the key findings of the report and what we should do next with this information as marketers? I think, you know, for me, the, the, the key summary is almost the, the report as a whole. And what I mean by that, I mean, you know, Kate, you and I have both worked with many customers over the years. You know, probably the biggest piece of value which you're adding to them is just that perspective, you know, that objectivity. You know, you are wearing the hat of their customers and telling them, you know, what's good and bad about the experience of being one of their customers. And, um, you know, a lot of the feedback in this report, it is pure common sense. And, you know, tapping into that and thinking, right, you know, when you are on, you know, the sort of side of the relationship where you are receiving these emails, what makes a good email, what makes a less good email, you know, the information in this report is gold dust. And I think, you know, any sender, any email marketer worth their salt should be reading it and thinking, right, you know, which bits of this can I apply to my program, um, you know, so that I can be a little bit more customer-centric in terms of meeting the needs of my email subscribers. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today, Guy. It's so important for us to understand not just what we think our subscribers want, but what they actually want from us. So how can people find out more about you and get in touch with you and validity and return path and find out more about how you can help them? Right. Well, if you want to find out more about Validity, that's easy. It's validity.com. And uh, you can find out all about the various different data and email-related solutions which we currently offer. 
Um, if you want to connect with me directly, um, you can use my work address, guy.hansen at validity.com. Um, you can f- connect with me on LinkedIn. That'll be a real pleasure. Um, and also, you'll find me at a few industry events coming up. Um, I'll be at um, SIE at the end of March. Um, I'll be speaking at Inbox Expo in mid-March. Um, and I'll also be appearing at a few of the uh, a few of a master's um, email evolution events too. So uh, if you're planning on going to any of those, um, by all means, come and listen to the presentation. Come and say hello. Wonderful. So that's it for today's intelligence masterclass. I hope you found it useful as always. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast provider you're listening through. Follow us on YouTube for more video-based content and find eFocus Marketing on all the socials. Thanks for listening. Intelligence. Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Head to our website for downloads and show notes. e-focusmarketing.com/intelligence. slash